0: John Steinbeck's classic novel, The Grapes of Wrath, follows the Jode family as they emigrate to California during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. Throughout the novel, the Jode family experiences humiliation and hardship at the hands of human institutions. Banks are depicted as money-hungry monsters, reducing crop shares and driving people from the land. Large growers in California collude with law enforcement to bust unions and keep prices low. This characterization hit a nerve with Americans, with some praising Steinbeck as a hero of the working class and others denouncing him as a communist. Whatever your feelings on his politics, Steinbeck hit a key truth. Human institutions all too easily become inhuman human institutions all too easily become inhuman. They take on a life of their own. They can seem almost not almost, they can seem autonomous, leaving broken lives in their way. Steinbeck didn't pull this idea of inhuman institutions out of thin air. Though. The novel is steeped in scripture. When Steinbeck talks about corporate farmers banks and corrupt government officials He's drawing imagery from Paul's discussion of the powers in Romans, Colossians, and Ephesians. So what are the powers according to Paul? The powers are spiritual beings that populate heaven and earth and rule human life. They were created by God and were originally good. However, like everything else in the world, they're fallen. They were originally created to serve creation However, they now exercise dominion over life by restricting, controlling, and consuming to ensure their own survival. In short, the powers are in collusion with sin, death, and the devil, radically opposed to human life and flourishing. You don't have to take Paul's worldview literally to get the main point. Something is terribly wrong with human institutions. The state, Its institutions, corporations, even the church, perhaps especially the church, take on a life of their own, a life that seeks to preserve its own survival at any cost. So what does this have to do with today's gospel? Well, these fallen powers are on display, full display here in this part of John's gospel, as religion and the state conspire to destroy Jesus. Pilate takes Jesus uncondemned and has him beaten. This wouldn't be unusual in Rome's criminal justice system. Paul and Silas suffer the same treatment in the book of Acts. The idea was to humiliate the prisoner and, if possible, extract a confession. The soldiers continue this humiliation by dressing Jesus up in purple, putting a crown of thorns on his head, mocking him and beating him. This is where John's irony reaches its peak. Jesus, the preexistent Word of God, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, is dressed as the very thing the soldiers ridicule. The one with all power seems subject to the world's power. Pilate doesn't even think Jesus is guilty of anything deserving death. Yet, the machinery of Rome's injustice continues without pause. The machinery of the state Needs blood. And yet, John shows us just how little power Pilate has. He shows that he's just a mid level bureaucrat, after all. When Jesus refuses to speak to him, he seems to lose his temper. Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? But death threats don't work on Jesus. He will not be cowed, he will not be intimidated. You, will, you would have no power over me, Jesus says, unless it had been given you from above. Pilate, for all his power, to inflict death and pain and suffering is a mere cog in the machine, forgettable and easily replaceable. So we have three main characters here. Pilate, weak and captive to his own job performance review. You have the religious leaders clamoring for his death. That's why I amended the reading there in John a little bit. It's clearly religious leaders here, not Jews as a whole. We'll get to that in a little bit. So we have Pilate, we have the religious leaders, and we have Jesus, mocked and beaten for who he really is. The religious leaders turn the screws on Pilate, saying that releasing Jesus makes Pilate suspect as well. This is the power, of, full power of religious fury on display. This fury has been played out over the ages in every major world religion. The Crusades, the Inquisition, pogroms against minority religious groups, 9-11, and Christian nationalism, which seeks to identify the kingdom of God which one, with one particular nation state. The point is, is that the Jewish leaders' actions are neither unique to Judaism, nor are they to be identified with Jews today. They're common to religious institutions that go demonic, basically. What you see here is what happens when religious people, especially religious leaders, lose their faith. There's insecurity, there's anxiety, there's rage. All of those are in these religious leaders in the text. Jesus represents a dire threat because he has the power to restore life from death. He deprives empire of its most potent weapon and the leaders of their power to control. The fear of what might happen also drives the religious authorities. What if Rome gets wind of this? Remember, way back in chapter 11... After Jesus raises Lazarus, there is a trial in absentia before Caiaphas. And Caiaphas says, you know, the, the leaders say, we have to do something about this man. Um, if, if, if the Romans hear about this, they will destroy us, our holy place, our whole nation. So there's that deep-seated fear driving their actions. What if Rome gets wind of it? They might destroy them all. Their faith as God in God as deliverer and savior is totally gone in this text. Instead, in a draw-stop, jaw-dropping statement full of irony and tragedy, the chief priests reveal where their real allegiance lies: "We have no king but Caesar." That's brutally ironic, considering the First commandment: "You shall have no other gods." Their king, their chosen king, Caesar, claimed himself to be divine. Caesar was an autocrat. Caesar was a butcher. That's the Caesar they're saying is their king. In proclaiming their allegiance to Caesar, religious authorities, these religious authorities show just how captive they are to the powers. Instead of clinging to their God, they put their trust in princes, in whom the psalm tells us there is no hope. And that is what has been happening in our world. We've been taken captive by the powers of sin and death, putting our ultimate trust in that which is not God. Look at the personality cults that have taken our nation and our churches captive over the past 20 years or so. We seem to long for a Messiah, one who will punish the bad people and lift up the good people, which obviously include us. The problem is that these political or religious messiahs in whom we invest so much authority always fail us. They end up going the way of the world, just as captured and enraptured by the powers of sin and death as we are. These powers make a lot of promises. Money, fame, power, it's hard to say no. But Jesus does say no. Jesus exposes the powers of the world for what they really are, empty, broken, on life support. They pour out their rage on Jesus because they know their power is coming to an end. They know that Jesus, who is the truth, reveals the truth about them. In Jesus, their attempts to humiliate Jesus are turned into his glorification. The cross becomes his throne. And from his throne comes judgment of all the world's ways that oppress, abuse, control, and kill. From the cross, those powers that enslave humanity are sentenced. They're disempowered, destroyed. And in, those, and in their place comes something else. There's liberation. Forgiveness, wholeness, and new life. We're set free to make another choice, to choose Jesus' path, the path of nonviolence, the path of love, the path of genuine faith. In the men's Bible study, we talked about this. You have two paths here. There's the path of Caesar, violence, domination, death, or the path of Jesus, life, forgiveness, love. We're set free to choose Jesus' path, which is a a path of genuine faith. And this nonviolent faith isn't weak. Let's get that out of the way. This nonviolent faith and love exemplified by Jesus Christ is truly confrontational. Jesus doesn't shy away from confronting the religious authorities. That doesn't mean he's a jerk. But he doesn't shy away from telling the truth. Jesus embodies genuine courage. And we are freed by Jesus to make that choice. To choose his courage, his faith, his love, his way of being. Jesus brings us to his Father and to our Father so that we can, in a provisional way, embody his kingdom now. A while back, you remember Pastor Dennis. You would open worship with this statement of truth. You are the body of Christ and the priesthood of all believers. Jesus Christ makes that statement so. The Lord continued to help us live into that call to choose his way over the way of Caesar. Thanks be to God. Amen.